Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. And here's Pastor Ben to introduce today's message. Greeting, friends. Thank you for joining us in our new series called The Lion Revealed. As we study the book of Revelation in an overview of the letter penned over 1900 years ago, but it's as relevant and fresh as today's news. The word revelation means unveiling, and right from the beginning of the letter, we see Jesus, angels, and other various beings unveiling some of the events that will unfold before our eyes when Jesus begins to righteously judge the world he created. The Apostle John is the author who Jesus called up to heaven in order that he might write down the events that lie ahead for planet Earth. And let me tell you, they're more fascinating than any other thriller I've ever watched or read. Let's continue in our study now, The Lion Revealed, Part 2. He has preeminence. And here we see Jesus as both King of kings and priests of priests. He is the highest of all that will be firstborn or be born again. Fourth, we're introduced to the ones to which it is dedicated, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we just read. And, and fifth, we're introduced to the reason for the letter. Here's the reason for the letter. Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. Or so be it. The overarching reason for this letter is to provide the reader and listener, the persecuted and disappointed believers, then and now, with the assurance and hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. These people back in 95 AD are watching their fellow believers, some being drugged off and murdered, some others being taken to the Colosseum in Rome. And, and fed to lions. They're, they're watching this happen before their very eyes. What they need is hope. And they're getting it here. Notice what's written. The event described here in verse 7 is Christ's second coming. They needed to be reminded this is not all there is. There is a life that is coming. Jesus is coming back. Hold on a little longer. Hang in there a little tighter. Get, draw the troops in. You know, link arms a little tighter as that day approaches. Don't wander off. Stay together. He's talking about that day, the second coming here, expounded upon in chapter 19. So I'll wait to get into that deeper later. When the whole of humanity will see Jesus coming back rather than the rapture when only believers will see and hear Christ when He comes as a thief in the night described in 1 Thessalonians 4. 13 and 18. It's also described in 1 Corinthians 15.51. It's described in Revelation 3.3. And it's described in Revelation 16.15. Did you get all those? (laughs) The rapture describes Christ coming in the clouds and resurrecting both the living and the dead in Christ. Up to Himself, we join Him in the clouds and we're taken to glory Versus Christ's second coming later on when we believers who are already in heaven come back with Him. It's described that we go with Him when He comes back to bring judgment on the earth. 
And it's then, it's in full view of everyone. Every eye will see him on that day. The two pictures here are called a pre-millennial view of end times um, events, and I believe it, it makes the most sense. While some Christians believe that on the earth that uh, that will suffer through the tribulation, post and pre-tribulation, uh, I'm sorry, tribulation view. I personally believe that there's more and better evidence that the next appointment we believers on God's calendar have of end times events is the rapturing away, or in the Greek, the snatching away, or the sudden, in the blink of an eye, of God's people. I think that's next. Verse 8, let's continue. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty they needed to be reminded that God has always existed. He pre-exists um, time. And He will be there at the end of time. He will always exist. And to the persecuted church of the first century, those words had to bring great comfort to them as they suffered greatly. They needed to be reminded that their God is almighty. He's ruling on the throne even now. Always has. There's never been a moment when, when God said, Oh, no, look what Putin's doing. Oh, no, now what's going to happen? No, he uses everything in his perfect plan. He knows exactly what's happening and what is going to happen next. He's trustworthy. We can trust him. We can, we can go forward with faith and a boldness. And almost 2,000 years later, they still comfort us as we work while we await the return of Christ. And this verse reminds us that our God is in complete control and reigning righteously on His throne. God is eternally pre-existent. He has always existed. But however, in, in eternity, He drew a timeline that began in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation 21. He decided to create all that we see and experience. He created you and He created me. He created a timeline. And when it reaches the end, God will continue to exist because He is eternal. He is the Alpha, as, as the Word tell, just told us. He is the Alpha, which is the first letter of the Greek alphabet because He was at the beginning of creation. He is at the beginning. He is the Alpha. And He is the Omega, the final letter in the Greek alphabet because He always has the final word. He was at the beginning of the world and He will be there at the end when the final light on this planet is extinguished. He will be there. And the Almighty God is in every moment in between on that timeline. From the beginning to the end of time, He, he is in every moment. He's in your moment. I know some of you are going through some really difficult things right now. We pray for you. And you've come in here with some heavy stuff, some heavy things that you're going through. Let me tell you, God is in that. He is there. Whether you can see Him or not is irrelevant. God is in the moment. He is walking with you through this. And if you will but turn to Him, you will find your Savior is there. I 
That's comforting. Not only is He there, He's in control. And He's working all things together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. Never forget that promise. No matter how hard, how dark your world gets, God is there. And He's going to use your circumstances to glorify Himself and to grow you into the next place of service that He has for you. Amen? Sixth in our introduction, we're introduced to John's eyewitness testimony. Now, many of you know that I was a cop for 20 years before becoming a pastor uh, 13 years ago. In the course of a given shift, cops respond to scenes where they're confronted with eyewitnesses to crimes and they're required by both policy and procedure to follow a guideline for recording eyewitness testimony that will one day end up in court, that will be pulled apart by attorneys on both sides. And a good cop knows that there are five basic questions that must be answered in their witness statement for it to hold water. They're called the five W's and they're listed as follows. Who, what, where, when, and why. Who, what, where, when, and why. These five W's John uses here guided by the Lord, and he does it perfectly. Listen to this perfect witness statement that John writes out. I, John, who... Okay, I won't do that with all all the words. Okay. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. That's uh, today modern day Western Turkey. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that's a reference to Jesus Christ, Messiah, clothed with a garment down to His feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like that of the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. 
And I have the keys of Hades and of death. You don't have to be afraid when you're in the presence of someone like that. He, he holds it all. There's no need to be afraid. I want to pause here for just a moment to point out that this is likely the first time that John has seen or talked directly to Jesus since his Lord's ascension some 60 years ago. John knew Jesus as an amazing teacher, as the one who suffered and died for the sins of the world. He knew Him as the Lamb who was slain. You remember John at the upper room? He always, in his letters, writes, uh, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> he knew Jesus loved him. You, you, you might remember the time that in the upper room when he lays his head on the chest of Jesus, when they're reclining. He just loved the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul. He knew Jesus very, very well. But now, he is confronted by the glorified Jesus in all his fullness. God has raised him up. He has set him apart. He's given him a name that is above every other name. And in his glory, and while John on earth knew Jesus as a friend, he knew the Lamb of God, the suffering Savior, and is the risen Lord. Now he meets Jesus in his fully glorified state as the Lion of Judah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And he is undone. He falls on his face as though he were dead. And while there are moments and situations and circumstances that demand and require that we cry out to Him quickly, never forget to whom you are addressing when we go into a time of prayer. Sometimes, yes, we need to just cry out to Him. He understands that. He's our loving friend. We have a loving Father in heaven. But so often we forget who we're talking to. We need to remember who He is and what He's done. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Lion of Judah. This is the One who shed His blood on a cross for you and for me. Here's what John heard from the Lord. He records, letter A in your notes, His voice is like a trumpet. When someone blows a trumpet, they pretty much have the floor at that moment. All eyes are drawn to the trumpet. His voice is like a rushing water. You ever stood next to a waterfall? A big one? You can't hear the person standing right next to you screaming. It's so loud. I think that's what Jesus' voice is like. When He speaks, everyone listens. And let her see His instruction was to write down what He was about to see and to hear. So now here's what John saw. Letter A, he saw that Jesus' words are sharp and powerful as a sword. They are omnipotent, they are instructive, and they are final. When Jesus speaks, it is as if there is a sword that cuts right between into truth. Letter, a, or letter B, Jesus is holding seven stars, which are the seven angels of the churches. And someday in heaven, I want to meet the angel that was put in charge of RCC. How about you? 
I'd love to hear what his version was and what he had to do and how he defended us and what the instructions were from the Father to grow this body of Christ. Letter C, Jesus is standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. These represent the seven churches to which John will write the words of God. We'll read about them next week. Letter D, he's wearing a robe. Jesus is wearing a robe. He sees that he's in a robe that goes all the way down to his feet. And then that's what's described as a golden band that goes across his chest. And these have great significance to a Jew. It signifies that he is both a righteous judge and that he is the reigning king. Only the righteous judge and the reigning king can wear those two things. Letter E, his feet are like bright brass. They're like bright brass. Again, this reminds us that he is the judge of all mankind. The brazen or brass altar was the structure where sin and guilt were consumed in the, fo- the holy fire of the Most High God. We sing a worship song here. Take me past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. That altar would be glowing. It is so bright it would be hard to look upon it. And that's how he describes Jesus' feet. They're like bright brass that just came out of a refiner's fire. Letter F, Jesus' hair is white. This signifies He is eternally existent and the rightful owner, the only one of the rightful name of the Ancient of Days as we just sang about. The Ancient of Days. What a scene in heaven. No wonder John collapsed. Every one of us in here would have done the same thing. Listen, while things on earth look dismal and dark for those following Christ, behind the scenes there is a God who is always working and readying for His Son's return. And as He brings righteousness and judgment for the rebellious and justice and fulfillment of grace to the saints, we can have hope in that. One day all wrongs will be made right. In verse 19, Jesus concludes our introduction to Revelation. Let's continue on and read to the end. Here's the conclusion of the introduction to the book we're about to study. Jesus says, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars. Now, you know, sometimes there's a challenge in Revelation to, uh, to understanding the symbolism that goes on. And so often, and, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, I'll see something that I don't understand and I just stop and then I try to figure it out. But my mentor told me one time, he said, Ben, just keep reading. Most of the time, the majority of the time, it'll be explained just in a few verses. Just keep going. Well, here it is. We've been wondering, what are the golden lampstands? What are the golden stars? Well, here it is. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. 
So you've got the seven angels and the seven churches here. Next week we'll see God's warning and encouragement to these seven churches and, and how they both apply to us and all 21st century churches even today. You've seen Jesus as the suffering Savior in the Gospels. Now we'll see Him as the conquering King who has overcome the world. That, wor that word overcome is critical for us to understand. Jesus has overcome the world. When He rose out of the grave, the world was finished. Satan was done. The demons had lost. Jesus lives and He had conquered. He is the overcomer. And in this book, this book will reveal to us that through Jesus, we too are overcomers. We too are conquerors. Heirs of His grace and citizens to the coming and eternal kingdom of God. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your citizenship has already been purchased at the cross. Heaven awaits you. And a relationship with God invites you even today. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Maybe you've never surrendered to Him. Maybe you've been living life on your own terms and you don't have a relationship. The only thing that's ever going to make sense to you, the only thing that you've ever desired and looked for is found in Jesus Christ. He fulfills them all. People run around looking for love when the lover of their souls wants them to come to Him. People look for significance and success and wealth. None of those things will ever make you happy because you were not designed to be fulfilled in those things in that way. You were designed to have a relationship with God. And He loves you so much that He sent His one and only Son down to earth to die on a cross, to take your place, to pay the price that you and me owed for our sin. He stepped in between us and death and said, I've got this. And He died on the cross. He bore our sins on the cross. See, God is a righteous judge, so He has to rule righteously. Sin must be dealt with. You can't sweep it under the carpet. That's not a righteous judge. Sin had to be dealt with. And there was only one who could do it. Jesus came down and, and dealt with it. He died on the cross he paid the price for your sin and for mine. And then he turned around and said, here's the two ways that you get that, the benefit of what he did. Here's how you can unload your sin and the weight of the guilt that you carry this morning. If you're watching online, you can do this right wherever you are. If you're listening to this message on the radio, same thing. Hey, right now, pull your car over and listen to this. This is too good to miss. Jesus Christ died for you. He paid for your sin. Now, how do you get the benefit of that? Well, He gave us two ways to do it. There's two things. First, we have to believe. We have to place our, our faith in God. We have to believe in God. And then second... We have to receive what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. He paid that. We have to receive that. It's a gift that He extends to each one of us. Take that gift today and say, I want that. Cry out to God and tell Him, I want that gift that pastor's talking about. I want it to apply to me. I want what Jesus did on the cross. I want that to apply to me. I want to be guiltless. I want to become your child. Do that today. And you will become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you leave this planet, you will know where you're going. 
And you know what? You even get the benefit of the relationship today. Place your trust in Him. It's the greatest thing you can ever do. It's the greatest decision on the planet that you will ever make in your lifetime. I tell people I wouldn't leave this room if I didn't know Jesus. Make that decision right now. Let's pray. People often ask me how they can get right with the Lord, how they can know where they're going after this life. And I can tell you this, no matter what you've done in your life in the past, God is a God of grace and he forgives everything and anything. You cannot out his grace. His grace is free to anybody that will believe and receive it. And I want to invite you that today, that if you haven't claimed that grace, that you would do it now and make it yours. And if you're in the Treasure Valley area and you don't already have a Bible teaching church, I want to invite you to come to Restored Community Church and get involved. We love the Word of God, we love serving, and we love reaching this world with the gospel. God bless. Have a great week. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.